Herschel Walker is pivoting further to the right. This world here, if you give me the wrong horse, they're going to cancel you out. So I want you to know you're with the right horse right now. We're Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election here in Georgia. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. On today's episode, what Herschel Walker is doing to make his case to conservative voters in Georgia. We'll also get into the Braves brouhaha as the debate over the team's name and the famous Tomahawk Chop comes into question by the White House. Patricia and I also have our who's up and who's down this week in the race to November, and we'll answer some great questions from the listener mailbag about Democratic messaging and political ads the possibility of the R-word runoff, and candidates who could help turn out the black vote in Georgia. That and so much more on this episode of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades, an AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia, you know, I was fascinated. I went down to see Herschel Walker in the town. What was the town called? It was Smar. Scythe. Smar. That was what it was. <laughs> I have never had, I've had a lot of datelines all over Georgia, some very fun ones as well. I've even written stories about how the post office is trying to steal, take some of those datelines off the maps. But Smar was a new one. I was at a gun range right off the highway and I thought it was in Forsyth, which of course I've been to before. But right at, I saw a little, you know, welcome to Smar sign and I asked some locals. I was like, we're in Smar, right? there. Yeah, you are in Smar. <laughs> so I, I love it. That's event. worth it. That is worth, I've gone to places just for the dateline and that is 100% worth the dateline. Uh, I've had some fun, fun datelines over the years. So I was, I was struck at the Herschel Walker rally. I've seen him dozens of times at this point, right? We've covered his messaging. Not long ago, his messaging through the Republican Senate primary and even the first few weeks after it, focused on Senator Raphael Warnock, of course, but also focused on party unity, on bipartisanship, on where he can work across the aisle. But Patricia, things have changed pretty decisively for him. He continues to struggle in polls among Republicans, getting about 80% of the vote, 85% of the vote in some polls, and suffering from basically getting Republican votes siphoned off to either Raphael Warnock to Libertarian candidate or just folks who were planned to undervote with poll after poll after poll, including a Fox News poll out this week that shows there's a split ticket dynamic. 
Yes. And so we know what Herschel Walker needs to do, which is consolidate consolidate that Republican vote. I don't know that this is the way to do it. We are hearing just extremely far right rhetoric from Herschel Walker when he was down there in SMAR. You uh, quoted him as saying that when transgender kids go to heaven, Jesus may not recognize them. And he wants to be recognized when he goes to heaven. But God made boys, boys and girls, girls and, and Jesus might not recognize them. That is a far cry from what we're hearing from Governor Brian Kemp, who on the same day was down in Columbus picking up an award for the best state to do business. He's talking about making a positive business environment. There was a quote from Kemp yesterday. He was down in Columbus, asked by a reporter, you know, do you think Herschel Walker will win? He said, yes, I think it's going to be a great day. But then he said something I thought was so interesting. Governor Kemp said, look, voters don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican. They want to bring their families up in safe neighborhoods. They want to be able to provide for their families. They want to be able to plan for their futures. And I don't remember the last time I heard a candidate on a ballot say, nobody cares what party you're in. (laughs) But I I hear it from voters a lot. And so that is a very winning message for Brian Kemp. But for Herschel Walker, the, the deficiency he has right now among Republican voters is that they're worried he can't do the job. They're not worried that he's not conservative enough. Now, 80% are fine with him. But I think running to the right, talking about transgender kids, talking about a full abortion ban, I think he's got those voters on board. We know the work he needs to do is to prove that he's ready to be a senator. And uh, that might be why his polls are lagging a little bit. Yeah, let's delve deeper into that. Because in the past few weeks alone, Herschel Walker endorsed a 15-week federal abortion ban from Lindsey Graham. He already opposes all abortions outright, even in cases of incest, rape, or when the life of the mother is at stake. But he also said he'd support a federal ban, even in, you know, that would apply to places like California or New York and other places that have much more expansive abortion rights laws in place. Uh, he sharpened his opposition to Medicaid expansion, essentially saying it wasn't good and that it would lead to more overspending. He put the program in bankruptcy, was I think is one of his quotes. And he leveled new attacks against transgender student athletes who seek to compete in women's sports. And Patricia, this in particular was the focus of his campaign messaging this week. His campaign's aides and other allies say essentially it really it tests really well in, in polls and in focus groups. I talked to voters at these rallies who said they were generally worried about their daughters having to compete against transgender athletes. The truth is there's no evidence that we've been able to find of this happening in high school sports in Georgia whatsoever. And that was a point that was continually made during the legislative debate surrounding this issue earlier this year. And it's very rare in college athletics, but Herschel Walker did have a University of Kentucky swimmer, a former University of Kentucky swimmer, who spoke out against having to compete against a transgender athlete in uh, her competitions in Kentucky. And and he is clearly trying to make this one of his, not closing messages, because we're not quite there yet, but at least a message to energize conservative voters right now at a time where he really needs it. He's definitely working on sort of the energize and mobilize. You know, there it seems like there's not a lot of time being spent on persuasion, but it's all about mobilization at this point, really driving those far right points home. It sounds a lot more like a primary message than it does a general election mm-hmm. message, especially running against a Democrat who is winning some Republican votes. And again, who are those Republicans? Um, They're the ones who are telling us they're just not quite on board with Herschel Walker's 
competence in the job, not that he's not conservative enough. It's not like Raphael Warnock is conservative enough for them, you know. Um, But, you know, he's got a super solid campaign team. So I'm sure they know what they're doing. They're not going to take advice from me. But I don't quite understand where they're going with this. But uh, he still is in his Unite Georgia bus tour. He still talks to his audiences about you know, wanting race not to be a factor at all. We're all the same. He likes to say we're all mutts. 23andMe has just confused everybody. So there's always this kind of long riff during his speech about can't we all get along? But then when you dig a little deeper, the messages, the policies beneath those messages are, you know, kind of on polarizing messages that are designed to mobilize and not persuade voters. You're right. He always says, or he frequently says at these campaign stops, that we're all mutts. 23andMe has ruined us all, you know. But even that is, the underlying message is pretty divisive because the underlying message there is that Democrats are trying to use race to divide folks. And in Herschel Walker's words, make white people apologize for their whiteness. And he's making the argument that, hey, you know, race shouldn't be a factor at all, but Democrats are using it to be divisive. You mentioned Governor Kemp's economic theme pitches. It almost sounded a lot like when he's talked about party not being the great equalizer, Senator Warnock's approach right now, right? I mean, he certainly is a proud Democrat, of course, but his appeal to these swing voters involves talking just as much, even more about working with Ted Cruz and Tommy Tuberville and, and Marco Rubio than he does about working with Joe Biden, someone who has the 37% approval rating in the AJC's recent polls. So certainly we've talked about how Raphael Warnock wants to show that he has this bipartisan, if not you know voting record necessarily, because he's not really voting for a lot of GOP proposals. He certainly has this history of working across party lines on uncertain legislation that he believes will help Georgians. Yeah, even though Georgia is a battleground state, feels like a 50-50 state, it's a very risky strategy to go after only your own voters in this state. And so Raphael Warnock is ahead in the polls right now when when he's ahead in the polls with that crucial Republican support. Brian Kemp has had crucial Democratic support. Brad Raffensperger has a a large amount of Democrats supporting him, and he is in the strongest position of anybody in the state. So if you look at people who are in the enviable position of being ahead in most polls, and Raffensperger is ahead in all polls, it's that crossover support that's crucial. And so those are the campaign messages that are backing up those numbers, and that's the strategy that seems to be working. And it's one that Herschel Walker is just not following when you really dig in to his positions. Now, these are positions he's had since the beginning of the campaign. If you go even further back, if you look into his kind of Twitter feed, for example, about the 2020 elections, I mean, he was full Donald Trump, have Georgia vote all over again. Um, He was just a pure Fox News, Newsmax Republican. There was no bipartisanship in that that, uh, situation. Um, So he's had these positions. It has an overlay of a uniting message. But you don't have to go long in a Herschel Walker campaign to see that the substance underneath that uh, Unite Georgia message is not that uniting. And the contrast with Governor Kemp, as you noted, is very clear. You know, Kemp was in Columbus getting a, a award from a magazine area selection, or I can't remember all these different site selection. <laughs> And there's area development, I think, was the other one. It's area development. The coveted area development. (laughs) I've been writing, look, I've been writing about these these magazines giving Georgia these honors for years. It's not exactly U.S. news. I just want to say. 
they didn't but it's deal important. Was, it's important. You no, know, it's important, right? I get <laughs> it's it. It's legit. And, and it's, it's a legit publication. Go ahead. Continue. And and so Nathan Deal, when he was governor in 2014, when he was running for re-election, I mean, you couldn't go a step without, you couldn't go to an event without hearing him talk about Georgia being the number one place in the nation to do business, awarded by one of these two magazines. So it was a centerpiece of his election. I don't think it'll be the centerpiece of, of Governor Kemp's going forward, but it certainly will become a mainstay in his campaign rhetoric as well, saying that his policies, look, it's a way for him to kind of counter democratic attacks that that his anti-abortion policies and his pro-gun expansions have hurt Georgia's economic bottom line because he can point to these very small publications that seem to say, hey, you know, Georgia's still a, a, a place to be envied when it comes to the economic development world. But we're seeing Kemp's messaging continue to focus on those issues. He's not He's not disavowing his anti-abortion law, of course, or the gun expansions, he's just not talking about it really unless asked. And that, again, reflects his position. He doesn't need to win over conservative voters right now. Our polls and others show him at 95% plus among GOP voters, despite the falling out with Donald Trump, despite being challenged by David Perdue earlier this year. And frankly, you know, even though he trounced David Perdue, beat him by 52 points, David Perdue still got hundreds of thousands of votes. So there's no real evidence of any sort of lingering fallout or significant lingering fallout among Republicans. So Governor Kemp right now, just like we talked about in the last episode, he can afford to go out there and try to expand the electoral map, try to appeal to suburbanites. Whereas Herschel Walker, who's tied or even behind Raphael Warnock in some of these recent polls, he needs to focus on the base. He needs to just win over those Republican supporters who are already backing Kemp. Yeah. And Kemp and Warnock, the other thing they have in common is that they're both incumbents. And so they don't need to meet that bar. Can you do the job? It's like, hey, I'm doing the job. Guess what? I got to go to Washington and vote on a bunch of laws. Um, And Brian Kemp, it's so interesting. He is in Savannah on Thursday at the Hurricane Preparedness Center, legitimately preparing for a possible uh, for the effects of Hurricane Ian. But it also is something that an incumbent can do. They can be on the job. They can be there for voters and residents and showing this is the kind of governor that I already am. And that is just, that is an incredibly powerful force for any candidate to already be in the job that they're trying to win re-election for. And so he and Warnock both have that in common. And Warnock's uh, speech, I saw him out earlier this week, and he is just going through this list of laws that he's written, laws that he's helped pass. And he said, can you believe I get to write laws now? I do. And here's the law I wrote for you. And that's because I work for you. And this is you can expect more of this from me if you send me back to Washington. And so that is something, you know, it's so hard for Stacey Abrams and for Herschel Walker to one up that without really working overtime to mobilize their own voters at the exact same time. It's a good point. There's a split ticket effect, but there's also the incumbency bounce here in Georgia. Um, We were talking about energizing conservative voters. Well, the White House might have given Herschel Walker and Governor Kemp some ammunition for that earlier this week. We talked about how the Braves went to celebrate their World Series title in 2021 with Joe Biden just the other day. Well, afterwards, White House press secretary was asked about the Braves' team name and the Tomahawk Chop at a White House press briefing. Here's what she said. We believe that it's important um, to have this conversation. Uh, you know, and, uh, and Native American and indigenous voices, uh, they should be at the center of this conversation. 
Patricia, it was Rosh Hashanah, but my phone was still getting blown up with <laughs> the, even Democrats saying, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why did they just wait into this? this oi. Oi, oi it, like, like my Yiddish uh, forebears. But uh, no, but from Democrats saying, why did they even wade into this debate? And before you knew it, Governor Kemp, Herschel Walker, other Republicans were rallying around the Braves team name, rallying around the Tomahawk Chop, pressing Democrats to say whether they had a stance on the Braves team name. Here's what Governor Kemp said at a campaign stop earlier this week. The president's administration talk about changing the names ridiculous. The Braves have a, a great um, rapport with the you know American Native Indian community in the state. They've actually been in the governor's office. We've met with them before. They're doing a lot to raise awareness to issues that they have and have been supportive. And you know, it's really what we need. We need people working together. And Patricia, we were at an event earlier this week with Senator Raphael Warnock, where he was asked by a Fox News reporter about this issue. And Warnock said, I want to see the Braves win the World Series again. Okay. He also (laughs) went on to say, I am aware that the Braves organization is having conversations with the Native American community. I trust them to work through that process and come to a conclusion that makes sense. That was the answer a lot of Democrats hoped the White House (laughs) had given instead of saying that the Braves needed to have a a deeper discussion. She wasn't endorsing a team name change, but she certainly reopened that debate right there. Oh, my God. You know, I saw that happen. I'm like, it's like the White House wants the Republicans to win. It's like they're trying to push them over the edge into just unchangeable victory. Um, It reminded me so much of the day when Brian Kemp went out and had a massive press conference at the Capitol after Major League Baseball pulled the All-Star game from Atlanta in protest of the voting rights bill. Now, the voting rights bill was extremely controversial, but the Republicans had not had a good day that entire session Uh, They were so at each other's throats. There was so much infighting about a whole lot of other things is the aftermath of the 2020 election. And finally, Brian Kemp went to the steps of the Capitol with every practically every Republican in the legislature behind him to rail against Major League Baseball. I believe it was on a Saturday morning. They all stayed in town to do this. And it was just this moment, this ongoing moment of unity for the Republican Party in Georgia because they all had one thing that they could agree on. Can't we all agree that baseball is super cool and nobody should should complain about it? Um, and that was their same message after Karine Jean-Pierre went out and said this from the podium. She very clearly had that answer prepared. It is a real issue for a lot of teams. The Washington Redskins changed their name. Cleveland because, Indians as well. Yeah, Cleveland Indians as well, because this really became such sort of an unnavigable issue in their own communities. To do it on the exact same day that the Braves were there to pick up their White House kind of party for the World Series win last year, it was like a case of super bad timing. And then six weeks before the election is like, what are you doing? What is happening right now? And I do believe that's how the Democrats back in Georgia felt as well. I can guarantee you that's how they felt because um, I heard from plenty of them. And it's funny you mentioned that that moment because that not only was a, a, a moment for Georgia Republicans who had had a really rough session, but for Governor Kemp right now, you know, we just talked about how he effectively has won the Republican Civil War. But back then, it was a very, very different scenario for him. He was on the ropes. Donald Trump was attacking him all the time. 
This was at a time way before David Perdue got in the race, but there were starting to be whispers about Republican challengers who could be backed by Donald Trump. And at the time, you know, could effectively, that was seen as, uh, could be, could have doomed Governor Kemp's chances. There is even some scatter talk, not from anyone close to the governor, that he might not even run for a second term. And so he used that boost to unite not just Republicans, but unite the party behind him as he became the chief spokesman for that Georgia election rewrite that has still gotten so much controversy. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to the Politically Georgia podcast from the AJC. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We're two of the political insiders and also two of the authors of the Morning Joel newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every single morning, except for weekends. If you're a subscriber to the AJC, you can join the community now, this very instant, by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Shaney B., our producer, who is awake. We're taping this podcast a little bit earlier than usual. Uh, Shaney is not a morning person, but he he has our listener mailbag ready. He has been, he's not a morning person because he works 24-7 to make this listener mailbag to curate this, th- these, these great questions we're about to I mean, hear. The phones just keep ringing and ringing and ringing. And I can't go to sleep knowing that there's people with great questions for you and Patricia. Well, folks, you can call Shaney B, keep him awake, annoy him, bug him anytime, anytime, day or night. He'll be there waiting for your call. And you, you can, can leave text. a question. You can, you text. can text too, but we'd rather yes. you call. Uh, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770. 770- 810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B. Uh, oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm awake now. Let's do this. Who needs coffee? <laughs> we've got we've got a, a three great questions this week and probably more that weren't so great. Actually, the, all the calls have been really, really good. And I think it's as we get closer and closer to election day, People have more and more questions, and uh, they're just fantastic. So let's get right into it here, and we'll start with Aaron in Augusta. I just want to say, first and foremost, I love the show. I've actually gotten some family members and friends to check the podcast out. Well, so I live in downtown Augusta, and something I've noticed is I've been inundated with political ads ad nauseum. And I've noticed from TV spots from the top two Democratic campaigns and their various packs and whatnot, 
is this. Warnock is extremely disciplined with a fiercely independent and moderate uh, message. Everything from building safer railway crossings to passing capital insulin to working with Republicans on Capitol Hill. And then juxtapose that with Stacey Abrams. Her ads have been, at least recently here in the home stretch, almost exclusively on abortion access and Kemp's heartbeat bill. To me, it seems she wants to ever so desperately portray Kemp as an extremist. But then, today I see uh, the video of her saying fetal heartbeats are not, in fact, biological workings, but rather manipulated sounds. Uh, that kind of language strikes me as extreme. Meanwhile, Kemp is laser-focused with his ads on economic issues and inflation reduction. I say all this to posit this theory. Is it possible that Reverend Warnock is strategically winning the messaging battle for Democrats, finding a way to navigate this tough environment while Abrams has uh, seemingly fallen victim to running too far to the left in an admittedly purple state? I think this week's AJC poll potentially bears witness to this reality. Thank you guys so much for the work. Keep it up. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for, and Aaron's friends and family who are all now avid listeners. We so appreciate it. Um, yes. Aaron, also feel like you don't really need our help. I feel like you're pretty on top of the situation <laughs> about what's going on. Um, but yes, I'm going to agree with you right now. I do think that Warnock's messaging is quite, uh, I think it's quite effective. He's always been really on top of his positive ad game. Those puppy ads got him elected, I'm pretty sure, as did the Christmas light ads. Uh, I think people respond to Warnock with positive ads. Now, his campaign also has some extremely aggressive ads against Herschel Walker. Literally, the ads I have to have my kids either turn the TV off or leave the room because it is replaying video of Herschel Walker's wife talking about him holding a gun to her head. Um, Very, very aggressive language saying you can't trust Herschel Walker. So I would say that Warnock is not doing a solely positive campaign right now against Herschel Walker, but it is clearly the more effective. Um, Stacey Abrams is really leaning hard into abortion access. Democrats believe firmly that that is their path to victory on this statewide ballot. They think that there are voters out there who are not being pulled into polls that do care about this and are going to vote for Democrats. So that's why they're doing it. But uh, Warnock has a broader message, a more positive uh, bio message. And it's obviously uh, yielding results for him right now. Yeah, I'll I'll echo Patricia on that. Coming into the last campaign, right, Senator Warnock was virtually unknown to many Georgians. And so those ad campaigns with Alvin the Beagle, with the Christmas lights, with the, uh, you know, eating pizza, the way he eats the pizza. What was it like? I don't eat pizza with forks. Knife and fork, yeah. Knife and forks and all these sort of... um, kind of laying the groundwork. There was one ad in particular with the knife and fork with pizza, which said, hey, you're about to hear all sorts of terrible things about me, but I'm not that bad guy, right? And that has, we know that works. We know that has worked because not only did he win, but because earlier this year, Republicans kind of acknowledged that those ad campaigns work so well because they can't try to paint him as this evil, negative, radical socialist anymore. It's been so hard to do that for Kelly Leffler and for other Republicans. Instead, they're trying to rather they're trying to tie him to Joe Biden. Now, they've certainly gone more negative since then. But Senator Warnock's ad campaign continues to focus on yes, you know, he has gone far negative and earlier than many expected airing the ad of Cindy Grossman's footage from an interview about 15 years ago. But at the same time, we still see ads of Senator Warnock running around the track saying, "Hey, I'm not an athlete. I can't compete with Herschel Walker on the football field, but I I can work for you in Washington." Stacey Abrams 
strategy is very different. You know, not just on the TV airwaves, but out there on the campaign trail. She's tying herself to Joe Biden. She's embracing his policies. She's not talking about working with Republicans <laughs> really at all, right? Whereas, we, as we mentioned earlier, Raphael Warnock is. And that's because Raphael Warnock can get these swing voters in a way that Stacey Abrams, it's going to be a lot harder for her to do unless they're swing voters who are mo- particularly motivated by the abortion issues. Instead, Stacey Abrams has painted Governor Kemp as dangerous, as an extremist. I don't know if that's working the way they want it to work. You know, it's one of those things where the polls show it's certainly not. But again, just as Patricia mentioned, and something we've mentioned every time we've talked about the polls, is that they're a snapshot. Yes, they give us a glimpse of the electorate, but they also give us a traditional glimpse of the electorate. If the electorate ends up being far more female than expected, right, even more than 55% women voters, like most of these polls kind of expect, then the outcome could be drastically different. We just don't know yet. Shani B., do we have another question? Now for a question about the R word. Oh, no. Here is Christian in Brookhaven. Hi there. Because it is looking more and more like we see the Georgia Senate race head to a December runoff, how might the fact that SB202 changing the Georgia runoff period from nine to four weeks affect that race? Will voter fatigue be more likely to affect Republican or Democratic voters, do you think, in that December runoff? And do you think Warnock could potentially suffer in that potential runoff because of the quick turnaround for absentee ballots and reduced early voting, which Democrats more so take advantage of of than Republicans, as well as the fact that incumbents usually do not fare well in in runoff elections in Georgia? That is a great question. Uh, And not only do incumbents, you know, typically not fare well, but really broader point is Democrats usually don't fare well in statewide runoff elections in Georgia. It was really in 2021 that 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 script was flipped for the first time, but Republicans dominated statewide runoffs before then. I am now also expecting a runoff, (laughs) I hate to say it. Um, And, you know, voter fatigue is a real big issue because already right now we're tired. Voters are tired of seeing all the ads, of hearing all the negative attacks back to back to back in some case. But in a sense, it puts a strain on the campaign's organization in a bigger way because these campaigns, you know, used to have these nine week runoffs where they could reset, right? Where they could even take a week to staff up, to hire more people, to get more volunteers. And they have a far less time to do that now. They have to pretty much mobilize the day after the election if it's going to be a runoff. There's no quiet time. The quietest time we might have is maybe the period over Thanksgiving, but even then, you'll have all sorts of early voting and, and organizational activities starting to ramp up. So I think it, it will change things dramatically. I think the biggest question is going to end up being, will control of the U.S. Senate be at stake? And that's going to be a game changer because if our election is for the 52nd vote in either a Democratic or Republican Senate, it's still very important. It'll still be all, getting all sorts of national attention. It'll still be really the only ball game in the nation when it comes to elections. But it will have even outsized importance, of course, if control of the Senate hangs in the balance and we'll see even more money. We'll see hundreds of millions of dollars being rushed into Georgia if once again, for the second election in a row, uh, Senate control is at stake. Yeah, and I think Democrats are also going to have a challenge with the shortened period because they did rely so much on absentee voting for the last runoffs and 
also for the general election in 2020, uh, Democratic voters, that muscle memory was there. They know how to do absentee voting. They have an incredibly smooth machine to remind people they used to send them absentee ballot requests also, which you can't do that anymore. Um, they had all of these ways to activate that early voting, um, particularly absentee voting. Now with that shortened from nine weeks to four, people are, you're going to have to request that absentee ballot immediately. They're going to have to get people to uh, request it, get it in their hands, get it back to their elections officials. And that's just, it's just uh, by definition, a lot harder to do in four weeks than it is in nine weeks. So I think that's going to be tough on Democrats, if this does come down to a runoff with Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker, I think also that tends to not favor the incumbent because people already know all about the incumbent. They're like, yeah, I know who you are. It gives the challenger more time to make their case. And then in the case of that Senate election, Chase Oliver would not be in that runoff. He is the libertarian candidate. He's drawing votes right now from Herschel Walker. Um, Some of those Republicans who are saying, I'm not on board with Herschel Walker yet, they're going to have to choose. Those voters are going to have to choose between Warnock and Walker. And especially if it comes down to control for the U.S. Senate, if somebody is more conservative than liberal, it seems like that would give Walker a little bit of a boost. And two more quick things. One is that you're going to see messaging change too. There, there's not going to be a big push for swing voters or independents. The campaigns, the candidates are going to go after their base. We saw that in the runoffs in 2021, where it was pure base. And all four candidates basically said, if we can get the same group of people who voted for us in November to come back out and vote in January, we win, right? So there's not going to be this big push to try to get swing voters or undecideds out there. It could change, you know, who knows, but probably it's just going to be, hey, let's get the same, our base to come back out in droves because turnout is going to be less in a runoff. And secondly, we talked about the tighter absentee ballot windows, but another big factor from SB202 is going to be the um, restricted use of ballot drop boxes. There's going to be far fewer ballot drop boxes. And that's especially over a time where people are going on vacation, where people are going out of town more. A more limited use of ballot drop boxes will also, I think, play an outsized role in a condensed time period right before a runoff. Shani B, do we have a third question? We do have a third question. I'm telling you, I, aren't these great questions? <laughs> these are awesome. These are, I'm very impressive. I feel like they need to have their the, own podcasts. <laughs> a lot better than my friends uh, <laughs> asking about um, Braves baseball. And, you know, chimney sweeps and stuff. But even though, hey, if you've got a chimney sweep. Oh, we love that chimney, chimney sweep. If you're a chimney we love, sweep. We love that little chimney sweep. You want to call into the Politically Georgia <laughs> podcast, by golly, I'll take your call. 770-810-5297. Now let's go down to Bryan County. Here is Keith. Ooh. I have a question. Given all of the attention that Stacey Abrams is getting, and Raphael Warnock is getting. If Democrats, if they want to turn out the black vote, would it be wise, do you think, that they should focus on Alicia Searcy and Janice Loss Robinson? Because, yes, we all know about Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and the star power that they hold, but in my opinion, when you get outside of Metro Atlanta, both Alicia Searcy and Janice Laws Robinson have been they've been putting in a lot of work. So do you think it would be wise for the Democrats, the DPG for example, to 
start putting resources behind those two candidates as far as trying to turn out the black vote and the youth vote come November. Thank you. Talk about astute listeners. This man knows his down-ballot races extremely well. That question from Bryan County is about the Democratic nominee for superintendent of schools, Elisa Thomas Searcy, and Janice Laws Robinson, who is the Democratic nominee for insurance commissioner. These are two women on the statewide ballot, Black women as well. Alicia Thomas Searcy in particular has had her um, disagreements with the top of the ticket. These were not two women who Stacey Abrams endorsed ahead of the primary. She endorsed three candidates. Neither of these women were among the candidates that she selected to be on the ticket with her. Alicia Thomas Searcy actually had a Facebook post at the beginning of this week saying that she has been ostracized by Abrams allies, that the One Georgia campaign has not supported her, um, that she doesn't feel like statewide Democrats are getting behind her candidacy. That is uh, accurate, I would say. Uh, There is concern among Democrats that they share. They say that she is too conservative on education issues. And so they're they're not getting behind her in a big way. And um, they certainly, it certainly does seem like a missed opportunity for Democrats if they wanted to continue to get out the black vote to really showcase those other statewide black candidates further down the ballot, like these two women. Yeah, a very astute question and highlights a rift, right? Uh, Janice Laws Robinson ran for insurance commissioner last cycle as well. I don't think, I don't see any real divide between her and the Democratic establishment. You know, it is hard. Very few people are aware of those down ticket races. So I don't think just emphasizing Janice Laws Robinson and Alicia Thomas Searcy alone will sort of drive up the African American vote. You know, it could help in smaller blocks of the electorate. Really what Stacey Abrams and what Raphael Warnock are hoping to do, but in particular Stacey Abrams, because she's she's the candidate who has talked about this the most. And she said, look, if black men vote, I win. Because black men tend to undervote, right? They tend to vote disproportionately less than, than other parts of the electorate, including black women who are the, the basic foundational cornerstone of the Democratic coalition here in Georgia. I expect Barack Obama. You can imagine Michelle Obama. You could imagine... Um, in 2018, Oprah came down to campaign for Stacey Abrams. All of it helped drive out turnout to make the election results in 2018 far closer than I think anyone, or not not anyone, but many people expected. And in 2020, Barack Obama came back and stumped for both Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and other Democrats, um, including you know Joe Biden, on the ballot here in Georgia. So those are some ways. But look, I was at an event with Stacey Abrams in South Fulton County earlier this week. Huge turnout among African-American voters. And she made the same case. She's, you just, you know, there's not an enthusiasm gap. There's a trust gap. She said, folks here, I don't have to worry about. It. They're going to vote. If you show up to a rally on a, on a Wednesday night, you're probably going to vote. But it's about talking to, to people in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their families who feel like there's no difference, right? Who feel like no matter who's elected, it's not going to change their lives. And me and you, Patricia, we know, you know, and our listeners know that the governor has immense power over our lives, immense influence over our lives with the legislation, with the budget, with executive appointments, um, with judicial picks. All these issues have a tremendous sway over the daily lives of Georgians. And it's up to these candidates to convince voters from both sides of the aisle, why they should go and show up and vote. But this also hits at another issue that we focused on in the jolt earlier this week, which is, yeah, there's a rift between Democrats and Alicia Thomas-Searcy. 
who, as a lawmaker, her last name was Alicia Thomas Morgan before she got married. Um, she first had a pretty liberal trajectory in the state legislature. She fought a voter ID law. She was one of the foremost opponents of a voter ID law back in the early 2000s. I think it was 2004, 2005. I covered it. She led a walkout with other black lawmakers to protest Republican policies. But at the same time, she's taken a number of stances on education issues that have alienated her party and that many see as unforgivable, including her support for Governor Nathan Deal's failing schools initiative, which would have let state take over schools that were deemed to be struggling to uh, for years and years on end. She's backed a number of charter school initiatives and backed putting public dollars into private schools. And all those issues have been kind of red lines for a lot of Democrats. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say you know you think Barack Obama is coming here? I think. I don't know yet. It's just a hunch. I mean, no, no one's told me that. This is just me conjecture. But he came in 2018. He came in 2020. And look, if you're Stacey Abrams and you're worried about trying to get the African-American vote out, I remember in 2018, he came to the AUC Center and there was a line, I think, wrapped twice around the building. And back in 2020, when he came, he spoke at a, it was a different sort of event because it was during the pandemic, but he spoke at a, a parking lot near the old Turner Field, but it was packed as well. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some big names come in the weekend before the election. Imagine that Donald Trump, Barack Obama, but not Joe Biden. We have not heard of a Joe Biden visit yet. No, and that one's going to be a different story, right? I think um, so. <laughs> that one's going to be a different story. Although, a little different. Although Stacey Abrams, you know, she said multiple times on the record she would welcome campaigning with Joe Biden, whereas Raphael Warnock, when we ask him, he dodges the question. He just says, I'll work with anyone who can help Georgians. I'm focused on my own campaign. Yes. Well, Patricia, that is not our who's up, who's down, but we might, might as well have been. But real quick, who is your who's down? I keep on forgetting we have music cues now. I wish people could see Greg dance to that music because it's very well. First of all, we're taping this very early on a on a Thursday morning, so it's a little disorienting for me because you're in a white t-shirt dancing in your chair. Catch me at your local bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But you've got some moves. I mean, he's putting all of it, his entire arms, which are about ten feet long, because you're very tall. <laughs> you have like your arms up in the air. It's a, it's very. I'm it's, all in. It'll wake you up, people. It'll wake you I'm up. I'm all in for this this lead-in music. It's awesome. It's <laughs> so true. So my who's down? Our third listener from Bryan County got my who's down already. Alicia Thomas Searcy uh, had a Facebook post saying she was being ostracized by the Abrams allies and no Abrams allies came forward to say, no, that's not true. (laughs) We really didn't hear from anybody to say, no, that's not the case. Please join us at our next campaign stop. Um, So she's a statewide candidate for the Democrats, not being embraced by the most powerful statewide candidate for the Democrats, who is Stacey Abrams and her campaign. So I would say that she is who is down this week. One senior Democrat official told me of her she's a republican full stop so that gives you a glimpse of how some of those democratic leaders view alicia thomas searcy um my who's down is going to be herschel walker not for any reasons that we talked about earlier but for a different story that we reported earlier this week we reported that his campaign recently listed a woman who was arrested in march on charges of participating in the january 6 2021 insurrection as a grassroots captain of her middle Georgia County. So that's an issue where the campaign didn't quite 
maybe vet everyone on that list. And there's dozens of folks on that list. But shortly after I notified the campaign, we'd be reporting on it. That list was taken down. Patricia, who is your who's up? My who's up is Governor Brian Kemp here in Georgia. Um, He has had a good week in that random business publication <laughs> named uh, named Georgia the <laughs> best state to do business for the ninth year in a row they oh, we're love gonna get that some emails aren't we but, uh, oh, we're get some emails from no them. it's a real it's an actual trade publication it's you know it, it's for companies that want to choose like hmm where should I locate my business next and Georgia is as you see from these announcements almost weekly from the governor consistently getting those businesses so that is a legitimate award they're so excited but lesser noticed by some was the cover of National Review magazine that said 2024, the governing coalition, 2024 pointing to the next run for the White House, it had a picture of Governor Glenn Youngkin on an elephant and sitting right behind him was Governor Brian Kemp, the first mention of Governor Kemp in 2024 that I have seen, um, but I don't think it will be of the last if he manages to pull off a re-election win here in the state the year after Donald Trump named him persona non grata in the party. Were they wearing matching red vests like they were in Alpharetta the other day? <laughs> a Republican man loves a red vest. It is like... <laughs> I think it's in the DNA. It gets cold and their DNA is like, I need a red vest. (laughs) I'll say, and I warned the governor's office about this too, recent national interviews I've done on TV and radio, just this week, the questions have suddenly shifted to 2024. It was really kind of sudden um, because I can tell you, I have not gotten any real 2024 questions from national commentators and broadcasters and things like that. But just this week, like four or five. And there's one interview where I got three or four in a row. Could he be a running mate for XYZ? Could he be, you know, a a potential cabinet official? And questions that we never thought we'd get. (laughs) Especially right in the middle of a heated campaign. No, I've covered so many elected officials who clearly have designs on the White House or their staff clearly has designs on the White House. You don't really get that vibe from his team. But, you know, I guess time will tell. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking, well, first best November, but yeah, yeah, time time will tell on that one. My who's up though, despite the White House's uh efforts to kind of sully the parade a little bit though, would be the Braves. And I don't really get to speak about the Braves too much here because it's a political podcast. But the Braves got to go celebrate with Joe Biden their World Series victory. It's such a unique honor, and it's not something that all teams get to do, right? President Donald Trump politicized those events during his four years in office. And a lot of teams just said, we're not even going to go to the White House after winning their league championships. And even the Washington Nationals didn't get to have that ceremony in their own hometown because of the pandemic, because everything was kind of called off. So the Braves got their moment in the sun. Our AJC colleague, Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano was there, covered it through and through and wrote about what an experience that was for Braves players, no matter their partisan leanings. And they're, they're not talking about that, of course, but even players who were not on the team last year showed up. Colin McHugh, a Braves relief pitcher who was on the Astros championship winning team a few years ago. He showed up, sat in the front row, just was beaming saying, this is history. I get to be part of it. They got a behind the scenes tour of the White House. What a cool experience for the Atlanta Braves, who are, we should note, in a really tight matchup with the New York Mets going into the final days of the regular season. And we're, of course, rooting for them to win yet another National League East championship. Greg, my hope for you is that the Braves win another World Series and that they go back to the White House and that it doesn't fall on a Jewish holiday so that you can go.
Yeah, watch it be Yom Kippur next year um, <laughs> instead of Rosh Hashanah. Well, thanks as always for listening to the Politically George podcast. You can count our new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,